Thanks for joining us today with another podcast from New Hope Church. We hope that you enjoy what we have for you today and find it encouraging and uplifting. If you ever want to learn more information about New Hope Church, please visit us online at myhope.life. We'd love to get to know you. Have a wonderful day and God bless. We didn't have that song picked out. I leaned over to Ashley and I said, we need another song. (laughs) That's why another song started playing. (laughs) It was not planned. (laughs) Yes, I've told you guys before. I said, there will be times when God begins to move and we're just going to worship. And then we'll move forward if we need to or we'll just keep on worshiping. It's okay. Sometimes the kids won't get to go to Sunday school and that's okay. But they're going to worship Millie. Let me just give you, let me give everyone props in here. But Millie, you got up here, you grabbed that microphone. I was getting ready to tell you to grab that microphone and move that stand. And you got with it, so give me. Yeah. Kids, you can be dismissed to Sunday school. You can make your way upstairs. Oh, yes. God is good all the time. Oh, I feel good. It feels good in here. I'll tell you what, when you worship just before you preach, let me tell you what, oh, it makes preaching so much easier. It makes it more fun too. Oh, yep, you're there. Oops. <laughs> Forgot to lock, unlock the door. Uh, all right. Um, I am, uh, this, I'll tell you, I've worked on this message for a long time. And there are a lot of things in this uh, this lesson this week, and you notice in your notes um, on the scriptures. Don't that's not all the scriptures I have, but like I just like I did it differently this week because that I'd have so many scriptures that wouldn't fit, and I didn't know which good ones to put on there. So I found three that I really really liked, or four, and I was like, we'll just do this. <laughs> so if you have your Bible, we're gonna start in recapping in Mark 14, and then we'll go into Mark 15. Um, But uh, let me pray real quick uh, before we get started. God, I pray you would touch me today, God, as I preach. God, let me give this word, God, that you've given. I pray you touch each and every one of us today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So recap here. So last week we were in Mark chapter 14, and we kind of looked at a couple of different things in Mark uh, chapter 14. And as I was studying this, like I went back and I was just doing more research on Mark 14. And so my recap includes some new information um, (laughs) that I didn't go over last week. But this stuff I found really interesting. So the alabaster jar being broken was in Mark 14, verse 3. And we begin to see anger and self-righteousness be put on display uh, by what this person does in this act. Um, This woman, she breaks the, the alabaster jar and pours out uh, perfume onto Jesus and the people there get uh, almost this righteous indignation about why did she waste that? And the word that they used is uh, baltashket. That's what it is. Okay. Um, and, and, And the word is also used later on in the book of Mark chapter 14 later on, and we're going to look at these two things more closely, but we, we see these people get self-righteous and, and almost look down, well, they did look down on what this woman had done, and sometimes that like sounds like people, 
you know, that we've come in contact with. Maybe you've been the person that's looked down on someone. I'll be the first one to admit it. I've looked down on people before. Guilty. Guilty as charged. But I, yes, Grandma, yes, you are right. I would believe we are all guilty of that. At some point, someone has looked down on someone in here. <laughs> um, and, and so we, we've got to make sure that we keep that in check because there's going to be people who come in here that don't worship like you. That, and, and you can look at them and you'll be like, you crazy. I feel a little halfway crazy. Betty, you were just like, you were worshiping. And I was like, i tell you what, it felt good in here, guys. Like, it was good. <laughs> I think this may have been the best church service. I don't even have to preach. It was good. <laughs> Oh, sometimes worship. Um, ooh, tell you what, I mean, so sometimes people aren't going to worship like you, but don't, don't look at them and be like, oh, that's, she crazy. She's over here getting with it. I, I hope someone gets with it in here. It's okay. <laughs> David danced before the Lord. Okay. So there's like Bible for dancing and getting excited about Jesus. Okay. Oh, this is not where my notes are. It wasn't, that was the new stuff. That's not even the stuff I have in my notes. <laughs> so Jesus could have responded in so many ways, but he protected this woman as she prepared him for death. And so he, he stood up for this woman. And so if someone is like, you just, you got some crazy praise. I'll tell you, I'll defend you. Where's your crazy praise? Where's your hand clapping? Where's your... Come on, you gotta give you gotta give him something. We offer a sacrifice of praise unto the Lord. And so, yes, sometimes it's not comfortable. Sometimes it's not comfortable to sing. We don't, I don't have a good voice, but you know what? Until there is someone up here that is gonna sing, y'all have to listen to my voice. So you better bring some people <laughs> that can sing. <laughs> Find your friends. <laughs> hey, you got a good singing voice? Cause this guy I know. <laughs> um so what if this, what if the person uh, didn't fully know, you know, what they were saying or doing? Okay, so this woman, she came, she, she came and she, she poured out this, this, uh, this ointment on Jesus. And, and we looked at the price of it. This, this bottle of, of oil was like 300 denarii, which is about $104 in today's money. So a lot of money. Like when you think about it in that day, like $104 probably was a lot of money. Um, not probably, it is because like. A bottle of perfume that was poured on him, $104 in today's money is a lot of money. Like, I don't have any cologne that is $104 in my house. I got some $7.99 stuff from Bath and Body Works, and I got some $29.99 stuff that I found in Perm that I really like the smell of. Um, and other than that, that's it. <laughs> like, I got cheap cologne, and I use that pretty sparingly. So $104 just dumped out, and they're like, you're wasting well, because this word that they used goes back to the, um, to the Talmud and, and all this stuff. And so this, this costly perfume that she pours out, I would ask you this question. Do we sometimes view what God is asking us to do as too costly? Oh, oh, I don't want to raise my hand. Someone might look at me. I don't want to clap. Someone might look at me like, it's easy to talk about worship right now because like, I want this to be like safe. I want you to know you can worship. No one's going to, and if someone does judge you, okay. Like, I'm sorry you didn't get nothing from God today. (laughs) I feel good. (laughs) Sometimes you got to change that mindset, flip that switch. Be like, oh, there was something that was said today in Moorhead. 
that like it got me going and it was good but he said he's like sometimes you know the, the thoughts that come into our head and and things like that you know we need to stop those and I was like yeah I leaned over to my wife I was like I teach that all the time that's like thought stopping you know helps with anxiety and all this stuff and and then uh he had said something he's like sometimes we start thinking about if you know and he goes sometimes we like you know get this really big mindset of if and we, we worry about all these different things you know things we can't control and things that are probably going to turn out okay <laughs> and i i was just like kind of laughed i was like yeah i do that but you know what else i worry about is how good it's gonna be <laughs> Like, there's sometimes in my mind, I'll tell you what, guys, like every Sunday, I'm worried about this place <laughs> because it ain't big enough. <laughs> like, we ain't got much room in here. Like, a couple people missing today, like, we'd be full. <laughs> so I'm just saying, like, I come to church and I'm a little worried about what if God does something great. Y'all, while we were kind of out, there were like nine guests, first time people that came through while there was like everyone out and everything, elders home, we would not, if we would have had not, if we would have had church, we would have had like 38 people in here because that was a Sunday that like everyone could have made it. But we got 40 chairs. So that's like two empty chairs in here. Wow. Like that saying that, like that, I hope that puts an urgency and you're like, oh yeah, we need some more room for some chairs. Not because I want to get like in this mindset of like being here in the building. Like I've talked about that last week. I want to be in homes. Like, I want people, I hope there's people gathering online right now. I hope there's people that are together right now and they're worshiping and they feel the same presence that we feel there. And they're up on their feet. Show me one thing he can't do. Oh yeah. Like, I, I want people in their homes to be worshiping and getting crazy. I want the floorboards in their house to start shaking. <laughs> I want the TV to be moving, you know? Like, get a surround sound system and crank the bass. Like, <laughs> I learned as a sound man. Oh, you know what? It's funny. Like, I'm going to say this and like, you know, that. <laughs> okay. So when I was a sound man, I liked bass and I equaled the anointing, you know, like if you want more anointing, you need more bass. And so the bass player would be playing, the kick drum would be going and I'd be like, oh yeah. And you know what? I'd watch, I'd watch people. They'd still be shouting, maybe shout a little bit more. I'd be like, see, bass correlates with the anointing. <laughs> it's a joke. Okay. It's, it's a sound man joke. <laughs> Um, but, um, so this is an important question we got to ask is what God is asking. Do we view it as too costly? Because I can tell you that my God can do anything. And so I would rather worry about what's it going to be like? What's the plan going to be like? Okay, God, I'm excited because I know that you can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or think. I'd rather worry about the good things that are going to happen and be forward thinking like that versus trying to worry about things that I can't control. I, I can't control certain things. I can't control the weather. Apparently Russell can, but hey, you guys know there's going to be snow this weekend. Okay. All right. Russell, be quiet. It's 40 degrees and it's in December. Russell, give me the forecast for Christmas day and tell me it's going to be 60. <laughs> And sunny, yes, I mean, come on, like on our fall party, like eight inches of snow. I'm like, and now it's all melted in like 40 degrees. Just explain that to me. <laughs> Two months later. <laughs> uh, so it's an important question we've got to ask for. And, and I ask you this today. Is being right 
always right. No, absolutely not. We can go back and forth on that, I think. Sometimes, like, I think you could go back and forth on it. Like, we could argue about being right. Well, like, you know, I'm right. Okay. If I force you to, like, oh, no, you, Sarah, you've got to think just like me. You've got to do things just exactly like me. Or the way you're doing it is wrong. I'm, I'm not saying that to you, but... <laughs> I'm not saying that to you, no. Um, but if, if you try and put that on someone, then they're like, like, just like Sarah was like, okay, I guess. You, you, are me and Sarah cool? Like, no, we're not cool if I'm doing that. We're cool now, though, right? Like, now yeah. that you know, okay. <laughs> so, we, I mean, we can, we can have this, this mentality of like, I've got to always be right. It's not always right. Even if you're right, it's not always right to be right. We got to follow God. We got to, we got to show love. So maybe like what this woman did, maybe according to the Talmud, the law, it, it was, it, she was breaking the rules because she was wasting. That was the word that was used. But Jesus saw it in another way. He saw it as her preparing him for his death. that just is about to take place in this chapter. <laughs> um, and so I, I found that kind of interesting. And so um, Remember back in, in Mark chapter 7, when Jesus told the Pharisees that they serve God with their lips, but their heart is far from him. Since I've read that scripture, that, that, the scripture has resonated with me for so long. He was making a statement that, yes, your actions may be somewhat right, but you're doing it out of lip service and not out of love. There was, there was a difference. There was a reason they were doing it. It was to follow a rule. It was to follow a set of guidelines that... That, that, that became just because I have to do this, I'm going to do it. Sure, maybe it was right. But, but they were doing it for the wrong reasons. You can be right all day long, but if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, you're wrong. You've got to have it, your heart into it. Following Jesus requires your heart to be into it. So he was trying to show the importance of a personal relationship. But people had become so distanced from God that it was almost like they didn't really believe what they studied. And when we get into Mark 15 here in just a minute, you're going to kind of see some of those things because we're talking a little bit about the prophecies of the Old Testament and, and all these different, like, it blows my mind. How did they reject Jesus? How? Like, it, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, here comes a guy that fulfills, okay, I'm getting ahead of my notes. Let me just come back. Here's a guy that fulfills. Pause. <laughs> all right. So, Let's talk about the word that we learned last week, Baltashkit. Okay, so it was a re reference to the Talmud. Um, and this was the Jewish law and, and the ways that they had to do things ceremonially. So uh, for ceremony, it was the rules for that, you know, like Leviticus and things like that, all the rules that are in, the, in there that, like, you go and read, some of them make sense for today, and then there's some that just that, that don't necessarily make sense for today. But there's principles in them that you can apply to today. So making the Old Testament absolutely 100% relevant to our life today. Even things in Leviticus, even, even things. We read some Leviticus while we were in Mark with the woman with the issue of blood and how she touched Jesus, which technically in that day would have made him unclean, but the unclean person goes to touch Jesus and what happens? Unclean and Jesus don't mix. She becomes changed. <laughs> and so think about Think about these, these types of things. So um, this was the mindset that Jesus was trying to change. It wasn't all about the rules. It was time to make it personal and to have a relationship with him. 
he was trying to get them to understand, hey, I'm the Messiah. Like, I want to have a relationship with you. But looking at verse 60 of Mark 14, it says, Then the high priest stood up before them and all questioned Jesus. Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But he kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest questioned him, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus says, I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest, now this is really important here, tore his robes and said, why do we still need witnesses? Okay, now this is what is crazy, okay? And I don't think that this is in the Bible by mistake. Like, I really think that, um, you know, I really do believe the, the, the verse in the Bible that says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So it wasn't just like, you know, some random person just writing some, scribbling some stuff down. I do believe that it was inspired word of God. I believe that. And, and we see this here. And so this correlation of what happens. Okay, so going back to the, the jar, okay? She broke the jar. The people were like, oh, she's wasteful. Because the word baltashket, the Talmud, explained that anything that was waste, that was wrong, right? Okay, so it also talked about those that tear their clothes and throw money in anger and some other things and destroy things in anger should be considered as idol worshipers. So think about this for a moment. Like this is just, this blew my mind. The high priest did exactly what was written in the law not to do. I would assume that he was angry and that's why he tore his clothes. Generally, people that are happy don't tear their clothes, correct? I'm not tearing my clothes. <laughs> I'm not going to get this point across to you guys by tearing my clothes. <laughs> this is in California. <laughs> I saw some videos this week and I'm like, oh, poor California. God bless them. <laughs> the things they've got to do to have church. <laughs> Um, and so the high priest does exactly what's not to do. Waste and tearing of clothes was his idol worship. And so like you go back to like the prophets of Baal with Elijah. What were they doing? It talks about how they were cutting themselves. It talks about how they were tearing their clothes. Like all these different things. So we see it happening as idol worship and, and all these things. So <clears throat> they tore their clothes for their idol god. They cut themselves trying to elicit a response. So just looking at the Talmud again, it says this was the belief system of the day, right? Um, in early rabbinic law, however, the Baal-Tashkit principle is understood to include other forms of senseless damage or waste. For instance, the Talmud applies the principle to prevent the wasting of lamp oil, the tearing of clothing, the chopping up of furniture for firewood or killing of animals. The logic behind this principle is that even in a time of war, one should not destroy fruit trees. All the more, so should one not destroy or waste anything under normal circumstances. It was pretty normal circumstances of what was going on that day when they were trying Jesus. So the Talmud goes, even goes so far to state one who tears his clothes or breaks his vessels 
or scatters his money in anger should be considered like an idol worshiper. And uh, I think it's amazing the correlation that you see. They pull the Talmud out when the woman, the woman pours the perfume on Jesus and cites her for, um, cites her for waste and, and Jesus has to protect her. But in the moment when it's their turn and they're in anger, no one cites the high priest who breaks the rules. There's a difference in how they viewed it. They were above the law. They, they were, they were, they could do as in that right there. I see them doing as they pleased, as they wanted, what made it seemed right in their own eyes. And Jesus was trying to get that, that principle outside and to change the, the mindset. So we go on and we see, um, the high priest tears his garment out of anger trying to elicit the response of those trying Jesus. So one thing that I began to think about as I studied this was the, the Talmud versus God, okay? So here we go. Who were they supposed to worship? Yeah, yeah, they're supposed to worship God. Jehovah, you know, Elohim, all, this, all those words, Yahweh, you know, like that's who they were to worship. But it almost looks like to me that their way of life had become their God. So whenever Jesus came and threatened their way of life and was changing and it was becoming not looking to the high priest, but looking to Jesus, there was this shift and they were losing power. So what's position more their God? Like when I was seeing this, I was like, oh, wow. Wow, we see the same principles here in the same chapter. It's crazy, right? Like, <laughs> blew my mind. I was like, oh, wow. And so I think it really plays into this week. That's why I really wanted to have a, um, I really wanted to kind of dive in and talk about it again. So I believe in my mind that the fulfillment of prophecy angered him in that his position of power was at stake. And so that he justified his sin according to the rules that had been developed. So I think that when I look at that, I'm just like, I'm blown away. Like I, I'm not above anyone in here. I'm not above anyone. Sure. I study, but the only reason why I can preach is because I study and I pray and I get a hold of God and any, like, I'm not going to say anyone can preach because not everyone can preach. Some people are more teachers and some people are just like, you know, I just, I don't want to do that and being in front of people like that. I don't want to do that. That's okay. There are other forms of ministry. The idea is that we find the place of ministry that we need to be in. This right here, preaching, teaching is the least amount of ministry that I do. Like this is the smallest portion. This is two hours a week. I got a whole bunch more hours that I do other ministry and that's okay. Like, so remember this, like you've got to find a place of ministry because what did Jesus come as? He came as a servant. Like he came to serve the world all the way to death. So the main point from last week was that we have to opt for the action that shows love and compassion while being humble. Just because you're right doesn't make it right. So maybe sometimes bow out a little bit, be humble, you know, 
if it's a young person, I learned that I don't, even as an adult, I don't always have to be right. Like, but I can teach. If I just go and go crazy on them, they're all like, <laughs> they're not going to believe me. Like, but if I teach why, show them the reasons, show them how to study, things like that, then things begin to change and they begin to understand that. Uh, so we must show love to this hurting world. I don't think there's a person in here today, probably not a person online today, that hasn't been hurt at some point in their life. And the, the principle of church, the principle of the people of God, should be to show love unconditionally. Like, there shouldn't be a condition for me why I love you. Like, why I love you, Russell. Why I love you, Jennifer. You know, everyone, like, there shouldn't be conditional uh, reasons tied to the love that I give because Jesus doesn't have conditions. He's like, we just got to come to him just how we are. Like, repent of our sins. Like, that's, that's what he wants. Like, the condition is just owning up to who you are and putting your, your trust in him and, and following him. And so, shouldn't we love like Jesus loved? Yes, people will make mistakes and people will hurt us. But sometimes we just need to show love and grace to those that maybe have been hurt and hurt you because of their heart. And so we have to be cautious in the way that we show love and, and making sure that we show love to people in this hurting world. There's so many people out there today that are hurting. So many times we don't even realize that they're hurting. And so I ask you, will you be a light for those around you? Will you be a light? Will you shine as a light? Will you bring peace to them? So let's dive in. So before jumping in, I wrote the wrong thing here. I wrote Mark I. Oh, before start, I read my notes wrong. <laughs> before starting in Mark, I want to show you a prophecy that was given in Isaiah before we dive into this sermon today. So this is a singular prophecy that is over 300. There, there, this is one of over 300 in the Old Testament. So this, um, I won't get into a ton of details, but there's a mathematician his, uh, his name, Peter Stoner, was a professor, professor of mathematics and astronomy at uh, Pasadena University, I believe, or Pasadena College. Um, and this, was, this is pretty dated, the, the, the stuff I'm pulling out. He wrote a book, and I believe it's called like Science Speaks or something like that. And it was math that he had developed. I'm not saying his math is 100% correct, but it's still interesting nonetheless. Um, and, and he said... Um, that he, he boiled it down to eight prophecies in the Old Testament. That for one man to fulfill eight prophecies without there to be some divine intervention would be one in 10 to the 17th power. So that one man, meaning one man uh, would come and fill these, that number is one to the one out of 10 to the 17th power. That's, that's a lot of zeros, okay? That is, um, I wrote it down, one in 100 quintillion. Like the, the, the GDP, I think, is, is measured in trillions. This is like quintillion, which is, <laughs> thank you, Cindy, because I didn't know that. <laughs> like, it's a lot, like, okay? And so he, he breaks it down 
And he said, like, if you were to mark a coin, I, I believe the, his use was silver dollar. Um, if you were to mark that coin and you were to put one in Texas and you were to cover the state of Texas two, I believe it was two feet or a foot and a half in coins, and you were to mix it up real good and allow someone who was blind to walk through, that is the chance of that person picking up the coin that was marked. That's how improbable that anyone fulfilling these prophecies. So that's just eight of them. What? There's like another 300 and some. It's like 356 or something like that prophecies. I couldn't find an exact number. You know, I'm sure it just depends on the person's paper you read. <laughs> um, but there were so many prophecies that Jesus fulfills. How, how can I not say that that's divine intervention? How did someone, what, three, five hundred years old or three hundred, five hundred years before Jesus come write a prophecy that Jesus fulfills to the T? Let's just boil it down to he died by crucifixion. Okay, he didn't get to pick how he died. It's not like Jesus was like, if you're going to do this, look, I've got this long game I'm playing. Like, if you could just crucify me, then <laughs> that'd be perfect. Okay. He, he, like, he, he didn't get to pick, like, he was going to be born in Bethlehem. Like, <laughs> like he just, in Psalms, it talks about him being pierced. Like, also, could you make sure that you drive a stake into me and, you know, pierce me in the side? Like, all those things. You know what? If he was playing the long game and he got there and all these, this questioning that went on, we saw it in the last book when he was silent, right? So let's jump in here and look at this. So Isaiah 53, 7 says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before his shears, he did not open his mouth. The Messiah that came had to come and be silent at his trial. It would take me some very much intestinal fortitude to be silent at my trial. If I was being wrongly getting ready to be crucified, like, come on, like, <laughs> that, the fact that it's so much, like, just blows my mind. So looking at Mark 15, 1 through 5, it says, as soon as it was morning, having held a meeting with the elders, scribes, and the whole Sanhedrin, the chief priests, and uh, tied up Jesus... And led him away and handed him over to Pilate. So Pilate asked him, are you king of the Jews? He answered him, you say so. And the chief accused him of many things. Pilate questioned him again. Aren't you going to answer? Look how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still did not answer. And so Pilate was amazed. Remember back in the beginning of Mark when Jesus begins to cast out the demons and he begins to teach and people are like, oh, he teaches with such authority. Like, oh, man, like they, they were like, look at this guy. He doesn't teach like anyone else. He teaches with an authority. And people were astounded. Uh, I just love that word, astounded. And we see this here that he doesn't answer Pilate. He says nothing. And the fact that he said nothing amazed Pilate. Sometimes your most powerful words will come when you shut up. Oh, word. I whispered it for the kids. <laughs> Sometimes we need to listen. 
Sometimes we just need to hear. That's what we're there for. And that can have the most impact on someone's life if you will just hear them. You don't always have to explain. You don't always have to figure it out and explain it to them. Just Jesus didn't demonstrate hate, but he knew the path was needed that he would ultimately walk. So I, I did a poll yesterday about Among Us. Can I just get a show of hands in here? Did anyone download the game and play it? I looked at it, but I was like, oh my God. Do your kids play it? Okay, good. We need to play. So I play the dumb game. It's fun. And, and Grandma's like, I know you play the game. You woke me up many times playing the stupid game, you and Ashley. Sometimes me, Rochelle, and Ashley will all get in the same room and we'll play this game. And so did anyone, does anyone know the game Mafia? Have you ever heard of that? It's like a card game and you like, no? Okay. Okay, cool. They, they've heard the game Mafia. Oh, this is a fun game. So like, as I used to do youth ministry, okay? So like, you guys are gonna have to bear with me today. This is a little youthy, this part, okay? Um, <laughs> and uh, anyways, so I was like, I'm putting Among Us in there. I don't care. I'm gonna explain the game, I guess, to, <laughs> to everyone. <laughs> and as I was looking at this, I was like, my analogy makes no sense to anyone right now. <laughs> I don't care. I guess it's for the, I guess it's for the online youth today. <laughs> so anyways, the way it works, this game, it's, it's, it's mindless. It's fun though. And so you get on there and it started around just a little bit before the pandemic. It gained in popularity as the pandemic went on and it just like became really fun. Like you'd jump into a room with people and you have to, you're like a little alien or whatever, and you're running around the spaceship and you're doing these tasks and you just, I mean, they're pointless. It's fun though. Um, and you try and you try and avoid the imposters. So imposters are like trying to win and you're, and the crewmates are trying to win. And there's one between one and three imposters on the, on the ship. And, uh, so the imposters run around and they try and fake tasks take out the crewmates, things like that. And uh, then you gotta find the people. Okay, oh, I'm, we're, we, this guy, he's di he died. So one of the imposters got him. And so you gotta like report it. Um, and, and, and so like people are accusing everyone. And my sister, she likes to play this role <laughs> where she just goes and hits the buzzer and just randomly accuses someone. Cause you can call a meeting. And just randomly accuse someone. So here we are, all three of us in the living room. We know who the imposter is because one of us just died. Or I'm the imposter. And my sister goes in there and just randomly just like accuses. And sometimes it's not even me. I guess just it's a random person just and they go with it. I'm like, I just so the other night I was playing with some uh in that church marketing thing that I've been doing, so it's just a, a classes and stuff. They, they did an Among Us thing and it was all of us playing and my sister got in there and we got in there like at the same exact time, like we hit it and like there was still, there was like two spaces open. And me and her were like running around the house, like screaming and just like, I mean, just having fun. Like it was just, and we were loud. I'm sure grandma was like, I'm trying to sleep. But she said nothing. She opened not her mouth. And... <laughs> 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 
Grandma, you can always tell us to be quiet. I try to get us to be quiet, but sometimes I just can't control myself. <laughs> so, so these people make these random accusations, like they don't have any idea. And so then you vote and you like kick the wrong person off and you're like, oh, oops. Or you, or you can skip your vote, <laughs> you know? And you're like, oops. And so sometimes I try, like when I'm in the imposter, I'm like, I try and be like, I think we should skip the vote, like even though it's someone else, like just trying to like play like, I play this way like all the time. Like, I have a strategy the way I play. And I try in this game, I tried to get my sister like it was me and her and someone else. And I was the imposter. And we were, I was going after him. And <laughs> he saw me run away from the person that I got. And so I tried to accuse him as he reported the body. And I like tried to accuse him and all the people that were watching are like dying laughing. Like they can still continue to watch after and, and do their tasks and stuff as ghosts. And uh, they're laughing at me because I was ex describing what I had done and what he, what he, and then I was trying to get my sister to vote for me. And she, I was like, we're gonna stick together. And she like, I, she gave me this false sense of security that she was on my side. And then the vote finished and I was like, what? You betrayed me? <laughs> like, I had to give you that, um, that, that uh, analogy because I thought it was funny. And that's just sometimes how my mind works. And so keep that in mind. Sometimes there's, there's people like my sister who put th that crazy voice <laughs> um, that try and stir up other people, right? So <laughs> she's going to have to go back and watch the message today because... <laughs> I'm talking so much about it. Rochelle's like, thanks. <laughs> it's about time you talk about someone else. <laughs> so keeping that voice in mind, let's look at this next portion of scripture in Mark 15, 6 through 15. I hope that when I read this, you'll be like, ah, I see why he talked about that now. <laughs> Mark 15, 6 through 15, it says, at the festival, Pilate used to, used to release, at the festival, Pilate used to release for the people a prisoner whom they requested. There was one named Barabbas who was in prison with rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them as was his custom. Pilate answered them, do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? For he knew it was because of envy that the chief priests had handed him over. I like that Pilate recognized the envy but no one else recognized the envy. We kind of just talked about that, didn't we? Like maybe he saw the tearing of his clothes, like he was worried about his position. And so again, uh, they said, uh, oh, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd that he would release Barabbas to them instead. Pilate asked them again, then what do you want me to do with the one you call the king of, a, of the Jews? Like, think about this for a moment. Here's the chief priests in the crowd. They like probably got in there and like positioned themselves around some people. And because they're the rulers in the sense of the religious world, they have influence, right? Like if, 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 if I, come, if I came over to your house and started saying something, you, you would maybe listen a little bit, you know? 
to some of the things. I mean, you're listening to me right now. So uh, clearly, there's some influence with religious leaders, okay? It's just, this is how it is, okay? So in this, they come over there and they position themselves. And they're like, who should we release? Hey, we need to yell Barabbas. Like, let's get this guy out and leave Jesus there. Like, they got their groups. And so, you know, sometimes you just yell louder than everyone else. And they hear the loudness. And so then, like, the crowd just is like, oh, Jesus, oh, Barabbas, I mean, I didn't know we were, <laughs> I didn't know we had a name that we were going for. Okay. And so I see this. And then he's like, well, then what should I do with Jesus? Can't just leave him in prison. He's not guilty of anything. And then there's the, the chief priests who are like, hey, let's get him to crucify him. Like, okay, for one, y'all had read the prophecies, like, they were like the most studied people. Like, don't you know, like, you're creating the Messiah, but like, let's crucify him. <laughs> like, think about what were they thinking? Like, were these people not that studied in the word? Like, I'm just like, I'm throwing it out there. I'm just like, put it, you can tell me like what you think, but I'm just saying, like, all these things. And they like completely miss it. The silence when he's being tried, like, says that and they just rejected it like blind to who Jesus was and so they say what do you after he asks what do you want to do they, again they shouted crucify him Pilate said to them why what has he done wrong but they shouted all the more crucifying him wanting to satisfy the crowd Pilate released Barabbas to them and after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. All the more they shouted to crucify him. They just wanted him to be crucified. There was anger and bitterness and fear in their lives. And the, these must have been the deciding factors that caused them to reject Jesus and to crucify him. And I wonder if that still isn't the case for today. For the reason why we reject Jesus sometimes is out of fear and, and being afraid. And um, they, they, the voice they chose to listen to was the voice of the angered chief priest. Have we ever listened to the angered voice before? The voice of the enemy. Have we ever opted to listen to that than the voice of God? Like what makes sense would have been to keep Jesus, not Barabbas. Um, so the mocking Jesus endured. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their head and saying, ha, this is the one who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Um, have Save yourself by coming down from the cross in the same way the chief priest um, with the scribes were mocking him among themselves and saying, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Verse 32, let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Hey, if you do this sign, wasn't it a wicked and perverse generation that asked for a sign? That's pretty wicked and perverse to crucify an innocent person. Even, even if you don't believe he's the Messiah, this is a little messed up. What's going on here? Hey, okay, fine. If you are, like, why don't you just go ahead and bring yourself down? Then I'll believe. Does this sometimes sound like people, even us, we're, we're like, oh, you know, God, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. You know, we have this if-then thing going on with Jesus. And maybe it's just like, maybe I just need to, you know what, I'll give my life and then he'll move. 
I'll do what he wants me to do, then he'll touch me. And so they took the words that Jesus said and tried to throw it in his face. The temple was always him and not the physical building. The temple was Jesus. He was referring to that. Yes, the temple was torn down. But he was talking about this temple that he was going to raise up in three days. And so the temple was being torn down by the words being spoken and the actions taking place. And the rebuilding of the temple was the resurrection of Jesus. These people, not only did they crucify him, but they were tearing him down with their words. Like There is power in your words. And so remember that every word you say, it has meaning. Being right doesn't make you right all the time. In the final moments of life, we see some powerful things take place. And this is the part that gets like super exciting. In Mark chapter 15, verses 33 through 39, it says, When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land um, until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, Lima Shabachthani, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, see, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, fixed it on a stick and offered him a drink and said, let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. What was wrong with these people? Such a fallen world we are a part of. We are a part of the people that crucified Jesus. Think about that. I'm going to get into that in just a minute, but. They ridiculed Jesus on the cross on Calvary. Not only could, were they, was he going to be crucified, but he was ridiculed and, 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 and made fun of while on the cross. Like in that weakened state, people chose. Bullying isn't just a new phenomenon, apparently. It's happened in the Bible, too. And it wasn't little kids. It was adults. Those are learned behaviors that kids learn. They don't just come to school and be like, oh, I want to bully someone. You don't wake up with that. But mommy and daddy teach it. Brother and sister teach it. What you feed them teaches them. Think about those things. All right, so let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. Verse 37, Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last breath. In verse 38, this is where everything changes. And me and Betty were talking a little bit about this last night. And this is so powerful. Then the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing opposite him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. The Roman soldier that saw it really realized who Jesus was. The Roman soldier, Jesus came to save the world, but the Roman soldier who had put him there said he realized who he was. He realized the power with one moment with Jesus. Well, people had been fed, 5,000 people had been fed, 4,000 people had been fed. People saw him walk on the water. People saw him pull the fish, tell, tell the, 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 the disciples to throw the fish, the, the net on the other side and to pull out the, the fish. Think about this. People saw and experienced multiple moments 
The same thing happens with us. We experience multiple moments with Jesus. We experience his presence. And then we turn around and we go back to our lifestyle. Why? The veil of the temple. This is, this is such an important part and it has a big meaning. This is where I'm going to spend the majority of my last couple minutes here. But um, the veil of the temple was the separation from the commonplace. It was the separation that, that separated everything, the holy area from the holiest of holies. That's where the mercy seat was. You know, the Ark of the Covenant with the, with the angels on top of it? That was the mercy seat. That was the, the Ark of the Covenant had some things in it. It had some manna that, 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 had been, that God had fed the, uh, the Israelites with. It had Aaron's rod that budded. It had the Ten Commandments in it. All these different things. In, and, and that's where the mercy seat was. You know how thick it was? About nine centimeters. That's the thickness of it. Like, that's pretty thick. I, I, ugh, I, I was going to measure nine centimeters to see what it was. So I don't know exactly how much nine centimeters is, but it's, it's pretty significant. It's what, like, it's three inches? Is that, a, is that, or three centimeters, is that an inch? Okay. So, yeah, thank you, Cindy. <laughs> Two and a half centimeters. So, so we're talking about, yeah, it's about five inches thick. I mean, it says a hand's breadth something like that. So I'm thinking like about something in here, you know, that's how thick it, like thick it was. So it wasn't just this little thing. It was big. It was heavy. It separated the whole thing from the top to the bottom. The only person who could enter that place was the high priest. Like one time a year, you know, the high priest, he had like, uh, bells on his, on his garment. I think it, the Bible talks, it was pomegranates. So that you could hear that he was still moving in there. So that, he, because if he went in wrong, if his life wasn't right, then he was going to die. <laughs> so the high priest had to be right. What I find interesting is Caiaphas doesn't die right away after Jesus is crucified, right? So the holiest of holies, the mercy seat, when that veil was torn, that was a signifying of no longer being contained to one little area where one person got to experience the presence of I would like to think that the high priest should have been different. I would like to think that the high priest, but there must have been something wrong in his heart. He must have not realized what he was in contact with when he walked into the holiest of holies. And he just took it for granted because he was the only person who could be in there. How many of us have become like Caiaphas, the high priest, and says, no, it's okay. Go ahead and crucify the relationship with Jesus. I've become too accustomed to the presence of God. It's, it's become commonplace for me. Think about this for a moment. This is so, this is so important. But when that veil was torn, it was God saying, I'm done with just the high priest. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be everywhere. I'm going to be in, in you. It was a transition from one place to in here. I'm so thankful that I can experience that presence of God. I'm so thankful that I can do that. It was, a, it was signifying when that veil was torn, that everything changed in a moment. There's some different historical texts that you can read that um, one of the Roman, I can't remember who it was, uh, but it was the, the, one of the leaders following Pilate, that he desecrated the temple by going into the holiest of holies. Now, if a person was supposed to die, if their heart wasn't right, 
Why didn't Caiaphas die? But also, why didn't he die? Maybe because the holiest of holies no longer had a significance. Because the significance, the holiest of holies, I can enter any day of the week. The holiest of holies, I can enter at any time that I want to. Oh, Jesus, I need you. God, I need you in my life. I need you to move in my spirit today. Where I'm at right now isn't where I need to be. I need a transformation to take place. God, I need something to change in my life, in my family. I need to enter into the holiest of holies. Don't let it become commonplace to you. Don't let getting into the presence of God just be another thing that you do. Get into the presence of God and say, thank you, God, for meeting me. Who are we? That he would take the time to minister to us. You feel the presence of God in here right now. I know you do because if I can feel it, every one of you can feel it. When we were singing and getting excited, we ushered the presence of God in here. We were moving just as the high priest had to continually move. We were doing it. And when we move, the presence of God begins to move in. And I believe that as we worship, he moves in. As we begin to respond to his presence, he begins to touch and change lives. We're so unworthy, but Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. Every one of us is unworthy to have the opportunity, but Jesus felt differently about you and I. He found value in us when we can't find value in ourselves. It was love that kept him on the cross. It was the forgiveness that kept him on the cross. It was for a relationship that kept him on the cross. Jesus was pretty clear on what sin was when we've talked about all those a few chapters ago. He was pretty clear about that. But I want to remind you the reason for him being on the cross was for your sin. Was for my sin. And every time I go back to that life... Every time I go back to that life, I picture myself as the Roman soldier that took the spike and hammered it into Jesus. I'm no better than him because he did it for me. I'm no better than him because my sin is what he did it for. I'm no better than the Roman soldier that crucified Jesus. I'm no better than Pilate or Caiaphas. We were all wrong, but he gave us an opportunity he did it. I can imagine Jesus looking in the eyes of that Roman soldier as he nailed him there. And it didn't matter. There was no hate in him. He's like, I know you got to do what you were ordered to, but I love you. Now, the Bible doesn't say that, but I can picture Jesus, the perfect sacrifice. Why wouldn't he say that as he hung on the cross? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It didn't matter. He loved don't allow the presence of God to become commonplace. If there's anything that I can encourage you to do, picture yourself as that Roman soldier. Picture yourself every time that you go back to the sinful life. Okay, God, I know I made a mistake. And I'm sorry. God, this isn't what I wanted to do, but I made a mistake. Please forgive me for my sin. God, I'm sorry. As you drive the stake into his hand again. It's a pretty vivid picture, I know. But I feel it in my spirit. That he says, I love you. Even when it hurts, I love you. Even when you turn your back on me, I love you. No matter what, I love you. 
over and over again. I love you. I know you got to do this, but I love you. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter the situations in your life. What matters is Calvary was for you. Jesus, your scars tell a story. I got some scars on my arm. Scars that resulted from anger. Scars that resulted from too, many, too much drinking and other things. And I got some scars here and there of things that happened in my life. And each one of them tells a story. But picture this. As Jesus welcomes you into heaven, that's where I want to go. As he welcomes you there, these scars, this scar, the scars on his side, those tell your story. His scars tell your story. I'm thankful that he was willing to bear the scars of my story, your story, that he would give me an opportunity to come to a place of repentance. Your scars tell a story that can change someone else's life. Are you in a place today where you need repentance in your life? Maybe you just need to thank him for what he did on Calvary. I, I know this is like an Easter message, but boy, I tell you what, we can talk about the gift, you know, at Christmas and all that jazz. Like I know Jesus wasn't born on December 25th, but the greatest gift ever given, really. Not only was the life of Jesus, but the sacrifice on Calvary. And I, I, I think about this and... Sometimes we just, we, we forget to thank him for what we did. And I know we're getting ready to do communion here in the next few minutes. But Jesus did all of that so that I could be changed. Jesus did all of that so that we could have an opportunity to have a relationship with him. So maybe there's some things going on in your life today that you need to find a place of repentance for yourself. Maybe the story that you have has the potential to change someone else's life. The story that has been told over years, maybe it can impact one person. Isn't it worth it to know that your story can change someone else's life? The story that Jesus bears on his flesh like oh thank you god for what you did on calvary i thank you jesus you're so great you're so mighty can you take some time right now you know what you need to pray for what what needs to happen in your life and i just ask right now that you would take some time and spend some time in prayer oh jesus you thought i was you worth saying So you clean me up inside. You th
Jim is uh, passing out the the communion cups, and uh, I'm thankful for the message that kind of fell on today. Just so you know, on the cups there is like a little cellophane tab that you peel off first, and that gives you the wafer. And then the other one, you kind of bend the other piece and you can peel back the metal. So I'm going to read some scriptures here after I get mine a little bit ready. <laughs> and uh, so it makes it easier when I get to that point. Hopefully the new ones open as easy as the old ones. If anyone needs help, grab your neighbor if your neighbor can't help you. Grab me. I'm struggling too, so don't feel bad if you need help. I think I did something wrong. <laughs> oh, for sure. Well, guys, I must have bought the cheap ones. <laughs> I, I got it. I got to peel it around the other way. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. Okay, we got it now. <laughs> so, I like the... You know, there's a lot of stuff about communion and everything. I, I feel it's very important, vital that we examine our lives before taking communion. And we did that just a few moments ago as we did that. But I want to read these scriptures for you. You, know, you are the one who makes the judge um, if you should or not take communion. And so verse 27 of... Oh, no, I didn't write it down here. I believe it's 1 Corinthians, uh, verse 27, 13, I think, verse 27. I'm going to have to post it because I totally forgot to put that on here. But I have 27. It says, so then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. So there's an importance in examining your life. And so are you where you need to be for this? So I want to take a moment again, and let's all examine our, our lives. And I've told you before that communion is not just, I don't want it to become something common. If, it, if, if, if the first of the month, if I feel like it's too much here in the next couple of months, I'll be like, guys, I don't want it to become common. Like, it, it, it can't become common just like the presence of God can't become common. This is a special thing that we're doing. And I know some of you wanted to do it more, and so we're going to do it more. But if I feel like it becomes too much and just becomes commonplace, we'll stop. Because I, want, I don't want it to become common. Because this is special. This is important. And so let's examine ourselves right now. Jesus. Be where it needs to be, God. I pray that you would lead and guide each and every one of us, God, as we go through this. As we do this, God, I pray that this would bring unity to our church, God. Let us be in one mind, in one accord, God. Let us fellowship together and see a mighty move of your spirit in this church, in this city, in this county, in this state, God. I pray that you would move all across this country, God, that you would move in Jesus' name. So he was broken for us as he hung on the cross for us. You take your wafer. And uh, verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord 
what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead and take your bread and you can eat it. And just as you eat it, like I want you to give thanks to, to God for what he did on Calvary. God, we thank you for what you did on Calvary. Oh, thank you, Jesus. God, that your body was broken for me. That you were pierced for me, God. God, I thank you. Oh, Jesus. God, I thank you for what you did on Calvary. The blood that was shed on Calvary was for you. And verse 25 says, in the same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's go ahead and drink the, the cup. Oh, Jesus, let's give him thanks for the blood that he shed on Calvary. God, I thank you for what you did on Calvary. I thank you for the blood that was shed. I, I thank you, God, that you, that you took the stripes on your back, God, that you were beaten for us, God. I thank you for allowing yourself to be pierced, God. God, that my life would be changed. I thank you for what you've done, God, in this place and in my life. God, I worship you. I magnify you, Jesus. So I'm going to ask you right now if you can just give thanks. Maybe you want to clap your hands. Maybe you just want to give him a shout of praise. But I thank you, Jesus, for what you did on Calvary. God, I worship you and I thank you, God. I thank you for meeting us here today, God. That you would be, you would want to be in the presence of here, God. I pray that you, I thank you for what you did in here today, God. I believe that lives were changed, that lives were transformed in here today. And I just pray that you would continue this out, God, in our lives. That you would move and touch each and every one of us, God. I worship you. God, I pray a special prayer on every person that's here right now, God. A special prayer for every person that watches online, God. I pray that you would touch them right now, God, in the home that they're sitting at. God, the seat that they're sitting at in here. I pray that your presence would begin to fall and sweep in, Jesus. God, you're the Prince of Peace, the mighty God, the Comforter. God, I pray that you would be that for us, God, all throughout the week, God. That you would move in our lives. That you would keep us, God. I pray a special prayer of protection on every person here, God. That you would keep us safe, God. As we go to our places of work, the grocery store, whatever it may be. I pray you would touch each and every one of us in Jesus' name. God, I pray that you would lead us and guide us in everything that we do. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. So, if you think about it, that's the last time for 2020 that in this church that we're going to take communion. Think about that for just a moment. That was it for 2020. But I do want to offer you the opportunity on December, I think it's 27th, it's a Wednesday night, um, to come to Moorhead with us. You can cook carpool or whatever and... We're going to do a, a service there and have uh, communion and stuff. And uh, I, uh, I understand working and, and things like that, you know, but uh, I just, I want to make that offer, you know, just to, if you'd like to do it with us and do it with some of the church family that's over there, I think it could be 
kind of cool. But um, I just want to tell you guys, like, I think it's, I think it's pretty amazing where we've come from February or January. The very first service in January, we did communion. The very first service, we did it with like maybe three or four people. Maybe it was five, just a few people. And I just look at this. God did this. And this is, this is the small service. <laughs> you know, think about that. There's more people that couldn't be here today at work and whatever. God's doing it. Remember that God is doing it. You all play a crucial part of what God's doing. Like that card, Cindy, you are playing a vital ministry. Clearly, you affected some people's lives. Clearly, you affected Jennifer's life this last week. Like there have been multiple things people have been affected by just by a card. That's power. That's ministry. They, like it, it's. Opening the door, you and Betty, that's powerful. Making the coffee, that's powerful. Like each and every one, letting your daughter get up here, you know, instilling those things into her godly principles. Thank you. Don't stop. Keep doing it because that's what they need. I'm thankful for that. I just look across this church and I see so much growth in every single person in this place. There is not a person in here today that I and would like, oh no, you haven't grown since the first time you walked in here. Every person in here, I've seen changes. And I'm thankful for that. That's God. And so as we go into 21, I just expect God to do even more. Amen. Sales, tell someone hello today and uh, greet your, greet everyone and throw your cup away. <laughs> <sighs> God bless each and every one of you.